He says the idea that some lives matter less than others are the root of all that's wrong in the world. Let me read that one more time. The idea that some lives matter less than others is the root of all that's wrong in the world. This is the L3 Leadership Podcast, episode number 171. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the L3 Leadership Podcast. My name is Doug Smith, and I'm the founder of L3 Leadership. We are a leadership development company devoted to helping you become the best leader that you can be. In this episode, you're going to get to hear a talk that was given by my friend and mentor, Brad Henderson, at a recent L3 Leadership Breakfast. In the talk, Brad talks about lessons that he's learned from completing 12 Ironman races, and he's about to do his 13th. And so he's obviously a phenomenal athlete, but he's also a phenomenal leader. He's the president of the Pittsburgh Kids Foundation. It's an organization that invests in the lives of local youth leaders. And as a result, they impact thousands of kids locally every single year. They also run summer camps and fall retreats. They do a ton of work in Haiti. And Brad is also the chaplain of the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So uh, just a phenomenal leader. I've been friends with Brad for such a long time. and He's been a huge mentor in my life. And I'm just so appreciative of him. And I know you're going to love this talk. But before we jump into the talk, just a few announcements. I want to let you guys know that we recently introduced L3 Leadership Membership. That's right. You can now become a member of L3 Leadership. You might say to me, well, Doug, why become a member? Because I believe every leader needs a group of leaders to go through life with that will encourage them, hold them accountable to their goals, and help them reach their potential. At L3 Leadership, we've developed a community of leaders that will help you do just that. As a member, you'll get access to our community of leaders. You'll have the ability to to join a mastermind group, which I believe is absolutely critical to your success. You'll get access to extra resources, content, and a member-only forum on our member-only website. Membership is only $25 a month, and you can sign up at l3leadership.org forward slash membership. I want to thank our sponsor, Henny Jewelers. They are a jeweler owned by my friend and mentor, John Henny. My wife, Laura, and I both got our engagement and wedding rings through Henny Jewelers, and they are just an incredible company. Not only do they have great jewelry, but they also invest in people. John gave Laura and I a book to help us prepare for our marriage, and he's been investing in me as a leader, a dad, and a husband now for many years. So if you're in need of a good jeweler, check out hennyjewelers.com. I also want to thank our sponsor, Alex Tulandon. Alex is a full-time realtor with Keller Williams Realty, whose team is committed to providing clients with highly effective premier real estate experiences throughout the greater Pittsburgh region. He's a member and a supporter of L3 Leadership, and he would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you'd like to learn more about Alex and ways to connect with him, go to pittsburghpropertyshowcase.com. And with all that being said, enjoy Brad's talk, and I'll be back at the end with a few announcements. This will be Iron Man number uh, 13 for me. this weekend. And uh, I love the video because it kind of introduces what I'm going to talk about. It saves me some time, but I'm not here to brag about that this morning. One of the things that you realize when you go and watch an Ironman is it's just a lot of ordinary people, like you said in the video, that have set some goals and they're trying to get there. Um, there's nothing that makes you a superstar for doing it. My wife thinks I'm a little crazy. I'm a little stupid. She's learned to support me in that. She's gotten to go some pretty exotic places, right? And one of those is Hawaii. And when you think about the whole Iron Man thing, that's immediately what most people think about. But the Iron Man is actually a distance. Uh, but I remember I, uh, we were talking a little bit about college days. Um, I was an athlete in college, and I came home um, from break um, and realized that that was over, Right. And I was ready to be done with that, but when you're a kid that's grown up and you've gone to practice every day, all year round, I was like, man, what am I, what am I going to do with myself, right? And I was 30 pounds heavier at the time. 
Um, and was looking at myself in the mirror thinking, man, I'm going to be one of those really short, fat guys if I'm not careful. So I went down the basement. I turned on the TV, and this Hawaii Iron Man thing was on. I'd never heard of it before. I had grown up fascinated with Hawaii, right? I don't know if you guys have ever seen that old Brady Bunch episode. I lived that, right? I, you know, and it had this thing. I was wanting to be a surfer, and I'm watching this incredible thing. And to this day, the most famous race was the first time I was ever broadcast. There was this woman who uh, they didn't know who she was, right? She led the race out of the water, and she had a huge lead on the bike, and they're just, like, scrambling to figure out, you know, do the research. There's no Internet in these days or whatever. They find out this this gal's like a college swimmer, and she has such a big lead, and the question is, is she going to be able to hang on, right? So she gets all the way to the end of the run, 26 miles, right? Last mile, she's really struggling to the point where um, she collapsed, Okay, and she's got like over an hour lead on the second place woman who's this really well-known triathlete, right? So the whole last hour of this thing is just showing her, and she would get up and jog a little bit and then collapse, right? And eventually got to the point where she just would crawl a little bit and collapse. Well, she literally got to the point where she was just a few feet from the finish line, and uh, she's crawling towards the finish line, and, and the woman passed her. I mean, I was just like... This is unbelievable, right? She, she got second place, right? And she'll always be known as that woman that got second place in the Ironman, right? And it wasn't pretty. But I remember watching that thinking, I'm going to do that thing, right? So I literally, the next day I went out and I bought a bike, and I started doing triathlons, right? And I had no idea how hard it was to get to Hawaii. It was a world championship. You got to qualify. You got to do all this stuff. So literally, I had 20 years invested. Okay. And there's another story behind this story about it. We'll get to that. But um, in 2006, I found myself treading water in Hawaii, right? Doing the big one. My whole family was there and actually got to do it twice, you know, and you know, you're in Hawaii, Right When you look down and there's TV cameras under the water and there's divers down there. And, uh, you know, the first day I arrived in Hawaii, there's this really famous highway they do the Ironman. It's called the Queen K. I get off the plane. I, I can't believe I'm, like, driving down the, the Queen K, right? I've been watching this thing for years and years. So I, I jump into Kona Bay, and I'm, I'm doing a training swim, and I'm literally um, a good half mile out in the ocean. Just, you know, it's over a reef and stuff. And I, I go to swim, and I, I put my fist forward, and it hits something really solid. And I'm like, did I get such a zone? Did I run into a buoy or something? I looked up, and I'm looking nose to nose with a giant sea turtle. And he's looking at me like, what the heck are you doing here? And I'm looking at him like, what the heck are you doing here, right? But last year at the start of the Ironman, they got this picture of this turtle. I think that's the same turtle, man. He's cruising around, <laughs> going to bed. I think he was sending me a message, right? I want you to come back, Brad, so I'm going to try to do that. But one of the really cool things about triathlon is that when you race, you race against the pros, right? So it's a really humbling thing, but it's kind of a, a fun thing, right? And my, my daughter was, uh, she's a teenager when we went, right? And uh, so she's in love with this guy, Norman Stadler. I mean, he's a stud. He's from Germany. He's got this accent. I can make a strong argument this guy's the greatest athlete in the world at the time. You're kind of brash, you know, world-class swimmer, biker, runner, all right? So this is what Norman Stadler looked like when he came across the finish line and won the Ironman that year, and, you know, a couple hours ahead of me, right? 
I remember I saw them at one loop on the run, got to watch, you know, the head guys um, going in. But this is a uh, quick break here. I'll come back to Norman. Uh, Saul. You guys all know who King Saul was, right? Old Testament Saul. I'm not talking about New Testament Saul that became Paul, but the first king of Israel, right? The Israelites came to God, and they said, hey, we want a king. God said, uh, you don't need a king. I'm your king, right? I mean, how stupid was that? They have the king of all kings, and they want a human king. But he said, all right, right? So they do this search for this king. It says, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others, right? So basically what he's saying is, there was this guy, Saul. He was a stud. He says he was a Benjamite. He came from this really well-known community. He came from this really great family, went to a great school, got a great education. But Saul was like a specimen. He looked kingly. He was a head and shoulders out of everybody else. He had that charisma. Everybody said, he's the king. He's the perfect guy to be king, right? But you guys know the story about Saul, right? He had all these really great human gifts to be a great king, but he didn't, he didn't have a spiritual center. He didn't have that inner, inner drive that he needed to rule the people. Gordon MacDonald, um, who was a famous pastor back in the day, said, natural talent can become both a blessing and a curse. It can lull us into cheating our, on our spiritual center, right? And uh, this is what Norman Stadler, I got to go to Kona twice, two years in a row, right? This is what he looked like when I passed him on the road the second year, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, he uh, swim, and, you know, Nord, Norman Stadler is kind of a crash and burn kind of personality, set the record on the bike course the year before in Hawaii, and people say, man, he's never going to be able to finish the race at that pace, but he did. The next year he did he went a little too fast. He got halfway through the bike, and I'll never forget riding by Norman on the, the side of the road thinking, man, slow it down a little bit, Brad. If Norman's laying there, you could be laying there next, right? But when I think about Saul, man, that, that's Saul. Got out of the gates well, and, uh, you know, uh, one of the most famous stories in all of human history is the story of David and Goliath, right? The backdrop of that story is the crash of Saul. It was the king's job to go out in the battlefield. It was Saul's job to go out in the battlefield and fight against Goliath. He couldn't get himself to go out there, right? Didn't have that inner faith that that scrawny little 13-year-old kid did. Um, Saul ended up on the side of the road. And this is a talk about not ending up on the side of the road. Um, run intentionally. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. You know, Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I don't know if you guys um, have ever, you know, studied much about Rome. Um, actually, we were going to go to Italy. My wife and I celebrate our 30th kids. Son's studying overseas. We postponed that trip to spend some time with him in Australia, which, which was a good move. But if you were to go to, to Rome, one of the things you'd be struck by the ruins is just the number of these great stadiums. You know, there was a time when, when Paul was alive that there were, you know, we, we have Heinz Field. We're proud of that, PNC Park. Um, well, think about, you know, there was a dozen of those stadiums at the time that Paul was reading the New Testament just 
in that general area. You think we're sports crazy, and we are. Um, they were really sports crazy then. So that's the context in which he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And one of the things I you know, think about Paul is he, he really understands that. Somebody's a runner, it's like, yeah, you know, he might actually participate in sports a little bit. But basically what Paul's saying here is, man, you got to have a focus. you got to have a plan. I know that's what you guys are spending here talking about. Um, you know, don't, you don't want to just go through life aimlessly, right? You don't want to just run a race and uh, not know how long it is and, you know, not realize, man, if you go too fast the first 10 miles, you're not going to make it the last 16. But I'm amazed as I look around, most people live their lives that way, um, you know, especially out of the gates. And finding that balance in our lives is so important, you know, especially um, from the start, from the get-go. When I was a kid, I, my, my dad had a Mustang. My dad loved cars. And I would have to say, I still think maybe, and it's probably in, in the, you know, the top five greatest cars ever made, that, that um, Ford Mustang. Yes, 67, right? And uh, my dad had probably was like a 1969 Mustang, right? So I, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I'm like, you know, five years old. And for whatever reason, I got to go with him to pick out the new car. This is like one of my most vivid childhood memories, right? Now, the question is, I should ask him, did I get to go because I had done something good? Or did my mom just say, you know, I got four kids. You got to get him out of the house tonight. I don't know what it was. But I remember he was haggling with a deal over price. And I remember crawling around. That thing had black leather seats. Talk about a new car smell. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about being a kid back then is you got to sit in the front seat, right? It's kind of, you know, crazy. Now, no car seats, right? So my dad would drive that car, and it was, uh, you know, it was a manual, the stick shift, and it had three dials on the dashboard. I remember seeing it. And what brought this back to me is I rented a Mustang, you know, five or six years ago. I was on a business trip you know, kind of the new knockoff, man, they did a pretty good job. But I got in there, I got behind the wheel, I looked at the dashboard, and it just all came flooding back to me. They did a great job recapturing it. But I remember he would drive, and I would watch the dial and try to predict, you know, when, it, when he was going to shift. You know, he'd rev that thing up, and the RPMs would go up. But here's a little homework for you guys, right? Just this simple takeaway from today, if you don't take anything else. Go home sometime this weekend, you know, tomorrow's Sunday, uh, spend some time just on a piece of paper, draw three dials, okay? Um, one for your uh, faith life, right? Um, one for your family life, one for your vocational life. And honestly, just say to yourself, how am I doing in those three areas of my life, you know? Um, am I doing okay? Are they pretty balanced? Um, or are there some flashing red lights on the dashboard, Right? The whole idea is to avoid that. But the challenge is to keep those things in balance and keep them, keep them in focus in, in our lives. And uh, what you want to you know, kind of go away from is going three or four years without paying any attention to those dials and those you know, flashing red lights um, where you need to stop, pull over, and uh, really do an assessment in your life. But you know, keep an eye on your gauges. You know, I don't know... Um, if you guys have a regular time built in your routine where you're kind of evaluating your life, but if you don't, you really should, right? I mean, if, even if you have a plan for life, have you guys ever done a personal mission statement? Everybody ever done that? Good for you guys. If you haven't done that, 
It's a good idea to do that, but I've got one. It's another talk, just a real simple thing. But I pull that thing out at least once a month and put it in front of me. I mean, it's just a real basic thing, but just to keep my focus, just to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm keeping those dials um, in, in balance. And one of the challenges I, I, you know, work with these athletes who, you know, have this life where they have this really intense eight, nine months of their life, and they try to live their life compartmentalized where they just do everything in the off-season. They don't pay enough attention to their wives during the seasons, during the off-season, their kids, their spiritual life. And uh, these flashing red lights um, come. You know, most of us are in a situation where we've got no excuse, you know, to not keep things a little more balanced. Be disciplined in your spiritual life, for physical training is of some value But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come, right? Again, this is uh, Paul, right, in in Timothy. A little time out here. Uh, Physical exercise is a really good thing, Um, really important thing. I just read this book. A buddy of mine gave me this this book. It's called Younger Next Year. He's like, you got to read this, Brad. It'll change your life. Great book. Um, and basically it says to somebody who's 50 year old, you need to make exercise your job. You need to exercise six days a week like it's your job. And I, I really agree with that. But I would say to you guys, when you're 25, you need, to make, you need to make exercise your job, right? All of us need that physical release that comes from exercise. You will be, it's, it's crazy. But if you exercise an hour a day, you'll have a lot more energy for everything else. You'll have a lot more balance in your life. Um, so if you're not doing that, man, I really, really challenge you guys, okay? This isn't a talk about that. I, I want to talk about something even more important today. And, you know, that's, that's our spiritual lives, okay? And I have to remind myself of this because it, there's been a tendency. I, I, I started playing golf, all right? I'm thinking it's a pretty simple game. I want to be a scratch golfer, right? Uh, have you guys ever spent any time playing golf? Talk about a black hole, man. I mean, you know, I got down to like a seven handicap. That, that's pretty good. But I realized, you know, I'm, I'm like spending all this time hitting this like stupid white ball around with a club. And there's a little physical value, you know, I was walked and take car, but, but not much, right? So I had to make a choice. And I'm not, I love golf. You know, it's a great social thing. And I might start playing golf again. Um, you know, I thought I'd start playing with my boys. They weren't interested in golf, so the golf clubs went in the closet. But all that to say is i got to remind myself is developing that spiritual dial is, is much more important. And if I'm going to spend an hour a day, two hours a day exercising, I better be spending at least that much time um, on my spiritual life. And, uh, you know, I've did a, you know, demon and leadership, wrote a dissertation. I've read all the leadership stuff. You know, John Maxwell, I know Bubba's a big friend. That's all great and good. And there's a ton of stuff out there. It's like overwhelming. It kind of gets recycled though. It's a lot of the same stuff refurbished. Uh, that's good. But the most important thing I do every morning is get up. For me, it's spending time in, in God's word because that's the roadmap to my life. I'm not saying that has to be it for you. Um, I don't know where you guys are, but to have that time in the morning where you're getting focused for your day, where you're looking at what's in front of you and making sure that you're making the most important things the most important things. It might be that big meeting that's coming up that's two weeks away that you need to start thinking about now. It might be um, 
you know, that big date with your wife this weekend that you need to plan. Um, even more important, right, in the bigger scheme of things. But making sure you got that spiritual focus, that spiritual center um, going on in your lives. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little time out here. You know, I almost, uh, you know, I wanted to be relevant um, this morning, too. And um, this is another path that God's taken me on. And, and I didn't want to spend our whole time thinking about this today, but, but I wanted to put this out here for you guys. Micah, all right, Old Testament. There's a, there's a, there's a, a few passages in the Scripture that I would say do a really great job of capturing the whole thing. This is one of them. He is an Old Testament prophet. It's kind of buried in there. Might be something you guys have heard before, maybe not. But he says, God has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly um, with your God. Okay? Justice. Um, Pretty hot topic in the world we live in today. Right? And I really think as leaders... In this day and age, that needs to be something very near and dear to your hearts. That is the issue of the times that we're living in. I've been a little surprised at how it's bubbled up again. Um, and I think some of us worked really hard. I, I worked really hard on this issue, still working on it. And um, we kind of got to it on a very superficial level, but didn't really, you know, dig into the, into the, into the core of the problems when it comes to, to human justice. Um, you know, love and kindness. You know, if you want to know as a Christian, right, somebody who follows Jesus Christ, good question for me is, you know, how's my love life, right? How am I doing at loving other people? Not just my wife and my kids, but the people around me, right? Two greatest commandments, one of those other things, simple thing, right? What is it? Love God, love your neighbor. That's pretty simple, right? You know, think of that movie, you know, The Grinch, who stole Christmas, Right? He's going up the mountain. They show his heart. It's like the size of a, of a pea. You get in that analogy? They put a little box around it. I'm talking about the real Grinch, the old Grinch, the Dr. Seuss Grinch, not the Jim Carrey Grinch, and they've reinvented him so many times. But what happens, right? Here's little Cindy Woohoo singing the Christmas songs down there. The hearts start growing. That's a great visual for us. That's really what should be happening in our lives. And, you know, the question I ask myself every morning I get up is my heart for Got other people getting bigger or smaller? It's a pretty simple question, right? Um, when we need to answer. Paul Farmer says this. We were talking about Paul Farmer this morning. Famous doctor, runs an organization, partners in health, works for the poor, UN, World Medical Class, one of the smartest guys that ever lived, right? He says the idea that some lives matter less than others of the root of all that's wrong in the world. Let me read that one more time. The idea that some lives matter less than others is the root of all that's wrong in the world. Um, wow. That is profound. Um, but that's the world that we live in. Okay? And another quick time out is I, I think it's important for us to know, you know, the, the context that we live in, too. We live in the United States of America, um, the wealthiest country in the world. And it's pretty easy growing up in the United States of America thinking every, every place is this way. Um, you know, I grew up with this uh, invisible backpack on. I didn't even realize it until I was probably 40 years old. And what am I talking about? Well, I, I, am, I, am, I am a white American-born citizen 
of the strongest nation of the world. And everywhere I go, I carry that. It's uh, this thing that puts me up on a podium. I, I didn't even realize it. Gives me this, you know, special place um, in the world. And, uh, you know, in our country, um, you know, as I've gotten to know people of different, uh, you know, races and spent some time with them. Here, here's, a, here's a good story that captures this for you really quickly so I don't spend too much time doing this. I, 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 my best buddy uh, that I did uh, my uh, doctor of ministry work with, big guy, uh, named Ken Watson, pastors in inner city church. We look like kind of Tweedledee and Tweedledum. We're together. He's big. He's African-American. He weighs almost 300 pounds. He played, you know, linebacker at University of Maryland, played for the Cleveland Browns. Got a great guy. guy. We'd love to hang out together, right? So his son, Benjamin, who I've been close to growing up, gets play, plays in the NFL, right? Benjamin gets to the Super Bowl, and he says, Brad, I want you to come watch me in the Super Bowl. So being a great friend, I said, sure. I'll come watch you. Unfortunately, he played for the New England Patriots, right? And they actually beat the Steelers in the AFC Championship game that year. But we are literally getting on the bus to go to the game. This is the New England Patriots family bus, okay? Now, Ken has been one of these people that have pointed out this backpack to me that I didn't know I had, that I didn't where to go. So we always have these bets going on. So he says, we got these passes to get on the bus, Right? He's like, Brad, man, I'll bet you dinner at the game, right? It's no small thing, dinner at the Super Bowl, that um, they won't give you a hard time at all if you don't have your pass. But if I don't have my pass out, they're not going to let me get on this bus. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to take this bet, right? This is the New England Patriots bus. Look around. These are parents of players. I mean, do I look? Maybe I could be related to the kicker, right? (laughs) Ken. Looks like he could still be playing, man. The guy's totally jacked, and he's like, he's obviously the dad of one of the players. So I'm like, you go first, Ken. I'm going to take this bet. I'm already thinking about what I want to eat, right? So sure enough, we put our passes in our back pockets, and he goes to get on the bus. And the bus driver, it's white, won't let him get on the bus. He's like, you know, I'm Benjamin Watson's dad, and the other people are saying he's dad. So he's filming around, you know, finally finds his pass, right? I got my pass in the back pocket. I'm like right after this. I'm the next guy in line. The guy just looks at me and says, go you know, get on the bus. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, buddy. You just cost me dinner, right? But that's the world we live in, and, and that's what we have to embrace. You know, the other thing you know, Doug didn't tell you, and, and I understand it. One of the, the biggest reason he invited me, he hangs out with me, is because I'm one of the richest guys in the world, you know, and uh, he didn't. Put that in my bio this morning because I don't like to put that out there, but it's true, right? If you put my income and my wife's income together, right, we're empty nesters. We're both working full time. We make just barely six figures, over $100,000, right? You know what? That makes me one of the richest guys in the whole world. It does. Like, if you were to line up people, fill through the... I'm in the 99.8th percentile. 0.02% of the people in the world make more than me, right? Wow, that's pretty amazing. Michael's thinking, man, I'm going to hang out with this guy, Brad. He's a millionaire, right? Wow, that's that's true. It's totally true. Go to this uh, website. A friend of mine sent me there, globalrichlist.com. 
You can punch in there how much you make, and uh, it'll tell you based on a world scale. Talk about an eye-opener for me. Now, you know, Bubba mentioned I spent a lot of time in Haiti. That's been a good perspective with me. I spend time, literally, there was a time when I was probably spending half of my life with the poorest people in the entire world. Um, that's been, uh, you know, some really good perspective for me. Um, but what am I saying about all that? You, you guys got to embrace that. You know, when Jesus talks in Scripture about the rich man, harder for a camel to go through the eye of the rich man and the king of God, that should get your attention, right? But here's the thing. I think I have a responsibility living in the most powerful country in the world, hanging out. I mean, some of my friends, man, I mean, they are really dirty, stinking rich. I mean, they're even rich from an American's perspective, that I've got to be challenging them to be redistributing, um, you know, God's resources. I mean, hey, take a step back. The perspective's there. And why, why do I tell you that? I think that that mindset's really important in terms of what you're doing with the rest of your life. Um, you know, we need to think globally. You know, we got a president that's trying to think, trying to shrink our world right now, and it just doesn't work. Hey, man, I was a part of the good old days back in 1976, right, where we went to the Memorial Day Parade and we did all that stuff. Those days are over. Those were, you know, they're not as bad as some people are making them out to be, but they're long gone. And as leaders, next generation of leaders, man, you've got to have a global mindset and you've got to realize where we fit in this global thing and how many people are, are really struggling out there just um, to survive. Um, I'm going the wrong way here. Life is full of quitting points. Um, first time I did the Ironman, I was I was in the swim, and uh, you know, you, drive, you, you jump in there with two thousand people, adrenaline's flowing, and you know, it takes about an hour to do that swim. And I'm like fifteen minutes into it, and we swam through a bunch of jellyfish, and the guy next to me got stung in the side of the face. And couldn't breathe. And, uh, you know, they have lifeguards out there that he was fine. They pulled him out of the water. But he was done. He was done. And I got stung in my shoulder. And I'm swimming thinking, man, I can't believe this. I worked 20 years to get here, and I'm, I'm, I could be done. You know, there's no second chance. They're not going to say, oh, sorry, Brad, you got stung by a jellyfish. You can come back next year. Um, you know, luckily I was able to s- swim through that, right? Next year I'm in, in Hawaii. And I'm feeling pretty good about how I did the year before, so I'm thinking, I'm going to go fast this year. I'm going to have the best race of my life. Not, not a good mindset to start an Ironman with. So literally, swim goes really well. Um, I get to the, the, the bike courses um, straight kind of up this mountain, right? So the first half is really tough. Wind's in your face. Second half, you, you make the turnaround, and you come back, you got the wind at your back, and it's not, you know, like really downhill, but downhill and, and pretty flat. Much easier, right? So I get to the turnaround. I'm an hour ahead of my time from the year before. I'm thinking, this is going to be the greatest race of my life, right? But what happened was the wind shifted. And I thought I was going to have the wind at my back. I'd worked really hard into the wind. And not only did I have 56 miles in the wind, I got 56 more in the wind. If you guys have ever ridden your bike, you know what I'm talking about. Like as a little kid, you know, if the wind's blowing and stuff, totally deflating. You know, I got to the transition area. And I was one minute slower than I'd been the year before when I was putting my running shoes on. But the year before, I was exhilarated. I, I didn't know if I was going to make it to the finish line, man. I did not know. I'm thinking, here I am in Hawaii. Got all these people following me online. And 
I might DNF, right? Do not, did not finish. Um, but was able to eat some stuff, kind of fight through it, and actually ended up doing okay. You know, finished a couple minutes behind time for the year before. But, you know, life is like that. You know, every day, I don't know where you guys are in your business. Some of you guys might be doing really great right now. Um, some of you guys might be doing really great in your relationships. Um, but there will come a time when, when you're going to struggle. You're going you're to hit a wall um, in your life in whatever you're doing. My wife and I have been married 30 years. Um, you know, I think we have a great marriage. But we have a great marriage because we fought through a lot of quitting points along the way. You know, I, we do a lot. I do weddings. Um, it's one of the great things about, you know, being an ordained pastor. But, you know, one of the real heart-wrenching things is, you know, having those coffees with people that are 10 years into it that are, are calling it quits. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, we, we have quitting points every day in our life, whether it's getting out of bed to exercise, getting out of bed on Monday morning to kind of get our focus for the week, whatever it is. But you got to learn to fight through those quitting points in your life. Even if they're little quitting points, it's pretty easy for people to become quitters, you know, um, across the board. And life's really about the, the, the decisions you're making day in and day out. Leadership's really about the decisions you're making day in and day out um, to keep those, you know, priorities straight, to hang in a relationship, um, you know, to, to stay focused on that goal um, in your vocational life, even though everybody's saying, man, this is really stupid, you know, the people that are working around you, um, but to fight, to fight and to keep fighting through. We're getting close to the end here. Uh, I keep going the wrong way. I, I'm going to finish with this. Um, you know, there's a, there's a passage of scripture that um, I've told my wife, I've told my kids, I've told those around me, you know, someday I'd like to have this on my tombstone. That sounds like a morbid thought, but guess what? We all have a 100% chance of dying someday. And I have to change this. I'm not going to have a tombstone, right? I mean, you know, my wife and I are in Sydney, Australia, right? Probably the most beautiful city in the world. And we're walking along this coastal walk, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, and there's this, like, huge cemetery, Somebody thought, man, this is like the perfect place for a cemetery, right? There's nothing around here. This probably started, you know, a thousand years ago, and, and here it is, right? I mean, really? Cemetery? Gravestones? You know, I, tell, I remind my wife, I want to be cremated. I don't want to take up any space, right? But somewhere, whether it's on the fireplace or whatever, they got a little thing. I, I want this right at my funeral. Um, I fought the good fight. I finished the race, right? And, you know, life's a fight, man. I mean, like I said, you got to be willing to fight through quitting. But you guys are learning that, right? You know, I'm 53, and I'd have to say, yeah, life's a fight, daily challenge. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. You know, I only want this red if it fits. You know, at the end of the day, I really want my kids to be able to say, you know, my dad, he wasn't perfect. He, but you know what? He was a fighter. You know, God gave him a, a focus and a purpose in his life. And he not only ran the race, but, but he finished well. He didn't crawl to the finish line. Um, he, he finished strong. And that's my hope and prayer for you guys. Um, you know, in, in your vocational lives, um, you know, I know that's important. 
But more importantly, in, in, your, in your personal lives, in your spiritual lives, that as I look around this room, someday, you know, we'd all be in the kingdom together and we'd be able to say, you know, Crystal, how, how did it go? And she could say, you know what? There's a lot of things I'd do differently, but I finished strong. You know, I, I finished well. Um, Max, Doug, whoever it is. And uh, to finish well, you got to start well. And you got to run the, the, the race with intentional focus and purpose every step of the way. Um, you got to be willing to, you know, fight for those vocational goals. You got to be willing to fight for your marriage. And some of you guys are parents, um, you know, to have that focus um, with your kids. It's a great thing to release them to and be an empty nester. I could have given you a great empty nester talk, but you guys um, aren't there uh, today. And also, you know, to, to embrace this, this place that God's, you know, put you in your life. When I first realized I had this backpack on, I went through this thing where I had this terrible sense of guilt about it. But then I realized, hey, you know what? God chose my parents. God chose my race. Everything about me came from him. I need to be grateful for that and not feel guilty of that. But I need to embrace that responsibility, Right. In the book of Matthew, says, to much, those of whom much has been given, much is expected. I'm, I'm one of those guys, man, someday when I'm face-to-face with him. But most importantly, I want him to say, Brad, you know, good job, man. It was a little, little dicey there a few times. I thought you were going to quit, but, but you finished, you know, and you have that ultimate prize. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Brad's talk. I really hope it added value to your life. You can find ways to connect with him and everything he's doing with the Pittsburgh Kids Foundation in the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 171. As always, thank you so much for being a listener, and it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a rating and review for this podcast. It really does help us grow our audience, so thank you in advance for that. I want to thank our sponsors, Bab Inc., led by my friend Russell Livingston. Bab is an insurance broker, third-party administrator, and consulting firm here in Pittsburgh. If your company has any insurance needs, I can't encourage you enough to check them out. They're incredible, and they have a huge passion for developing next-generation leaders. You can learn more at babbins.com. That's B-A-B-B-I-N-S.com. And lastly, if you want to stay up to date with everything we're doing here at L3 Leadership, you can simply sign up for our email list at l3leadership.org, and you'll start getting weekly emails with everything that we're doing. And as always, I like to end with a quote, and I'm going to use one that Brad used because I thought it was that good by Dr. Paul Farmer. He said this, he said, the idea that some lives matter less than others is the root of all that's wrong in the world. The idea that some lives matter less than others is the root of all that's wrong in the world. That is so good. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of L3 Leadership. Laura and I appreciate you so much, and we'll be back next episode. (music) 